0: And with that, I'm going to pass you over to Jason Simmons. Jason is part of the district office for now. For now, for now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm just going to leave it over that's, to that's you. It. That's right? what
1: all you're going to say? He is, he
0: is the, um, the face of Alliance Northwest. Oh, come on, man. He is the stud <laughs> that we all want to be. Um, and I, I, I don't know how much he's going to share this. It's not. I don't know if it's part of what you're doing, but what like I I love this guy. Like within our denomination, there is so much humility. So guys like Jason who serve so faithfully, they work hard in the background. They're building up guys like me. So I just appreciate his humility of service, his heart for development. But um, one of the things I love about our denomination is Jason's been working in the office, overseeing the licensing and ordination process for a chunk of time. Um, And we have a church that is part of the area that's up in Vancouver that has been struggling for a long time. And Jason's been helping them in the process of getting to a healthier place and dreaming about what can be next. Um, And his goal was to help them in an interim way until they find a new pastor, planter who can help make things happen. But in the process of seeking God and loving the people of that community, he hit a point where he said, I think it's me. And so Jason is leaving the comfort of the district office to go do what is really hard uh, up in Vancouver. And so this is the kind of guy he is, and this is why we love to follow and minister alongside you. So love you, dude.
1: Oh, man. Wow. Wow. When I asked him, is that all you were going to say? I thought you were going to say something about why I was here today. I figured you were going to say that. Oh, I'll say that. Okay, I'll say, yeah, well... Uh, I'm here today because I am with the Alliance Northwest and today we're celebrating your pastor's ordination. Which is pretty cool. Um, Pretty cool. I, I, it's been, I think I was here, I can't actually remember the last time I was here. It was, it's been in the last year. I don't know that I've ever been here on a Sunday when you've been here. Because typically when I'm here it's because you're gone. Um, But It's good to be here with you, Scotty, and Monica, if you're in the room, I don't see you, but you're here somewhere probably. There she is. Hey, Monica in the back. Uh, So good to be here, though, with y'all. Yeah, last time I was here, you had a different name, Yeah. and I had a different face. I I didn't have a mustache. So you've got a new name, I've got a new mustache, Um, but it's so good to be back with you. I want to tell you a little bit about what ordination is, just so that you know what we've put Scotty through. Um, So for the past few years, Scotty's been working and growing through a process to become ordained with the Alliance, with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. He's read multiple books. He's written six doctrinal statements. He's taken time to learn about the Alliance family, what we're all about, our mission, our vision, our distinctives. He's passed a rigorous theological interview. And then... As if that wasn't enough, he and Monica went through an assessment together as a couple. It was a deep dive into their life together as a, as a married couple, as a family. A little bit into Scott's ministry style and his leadership um, and his walk with the Lord. And in accomplishing these things, Scotty has met all the requirements for ordination with the Alliance. And I think it would be really tempting to sort of look at that and say, well, we can check that box off and, and move on. Ordination is in the rearview mirror. But actually, I like to think of ordination more as a milestone. It's more like a, a point in a leader's journey with the Alliance where they, they, can, they can see they've made some progress, they've grown. God's call in their life has been affirmed. But then as you continue to move forward, It's something you can look back on because there's times in ministry when you're going to look back and you're going to think, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. I think I'm supposed to be doing something else. And you can look back and you can go, oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I thought this was a good idea at one point and so did a bunch of other people, right? So did the leaders in the Alliance so did my family, so did my church. And you can look back and go, maybe it was a good call for me to be a pastor. Maybe I can hang on to this calling. You see, this idea of of being called is so important for ministry leaders. How many of you have ever heard that term, people are called to ministry, called? Most of you. Most of you have heard that. Um, and probably most of you, and I would have put myself into this camp not that long ago, have no idea what that means, right? Calling. What in the world? What is that, a calling, you know? The like, do you hear something from God? Is it audible? What, what does it mean? Uh, I want to just say that calling is, is really simply uh, God tapping a leader on the shoulder, tapping a person on the shoulder, and setting them apart for a particular work. It's really that simple. And there's there's an extent to which every person in this room who follows Jesus is called to ministry. Ephesians 2.10 says that we have been saved by grace and created to do good works which God prepared in advance for all of us to do. That's not reserved for a few Christian people who get paid to do that. That's for every member of the body of Christ. That's all of us. So as I, as, I, as I talk to Scotty primarily today, I don't want you to tune out and think this stuff doesn't apply to me. It actually applies to you as well as a called people, as a sent people, as a people who have been saved by grace and God wants to send out to make Jesus known. Scotty, you just, you just talked about that a minute ago. That's who you are. So this is really for everyone, but in particular, it's for you, Scotty. So... The call, why is it important? Why does it matter? This responsibility that God gives to a few leaders, that God gives to those, those men and women that he taps on the shoulder and says, hey, I've got special work for you to do, that's setting apart, um, tells me something about God. And what it tells me is, is probably two primary things. Number one, Jesus really cares about his church. He cares so much that he would actually call particular people and set them aside and say, yeah, I need, I, actually, I'm employing you. I'm, I'm putting you to work to take care of this thing that really matters to me. The church. The people who follow Jesus. That's the first thing it tells me. The second thing it tells me is that it really matters who leads. It really matters who uh, who gets called and who gets tapped on the shoulder and set aside to do that work? It, it's of great importance. It's critical. It's critical. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 describes the church as the body of Christ. Or I'm sorry, as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Have you, have you thought about that before? Just the implication of that? Like the church is Jesus' wife. What's more precious to a, a groom than his bride? Nothing. Pastoring is not just another job. It's not just another like list on the career fair. Your senior year in high school. It's special work. God is setting apart certain people. To cherish and equip and serve and 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 pour his or her life into the bride, his precious wife. That's that's how much it matters. Who does this work? And and Scott, this is the work you're called to. You uh, you bring some unique experiences. You bring some unique gifts. And I've gotten a chance to see some of that and become a, not, not just a the denominational guy, but a friend. Um, and I've grown to really appreciate some of those gifts I've seen in you. You're a prayer warrior. Everybody in the church is like, yep. <laughs> He's a prayer warrior. You're a cancer survivor. You lead with an incredible blend, probably maybe a more unique blend of, of patience. And um, savvy and strategy. You bring those two things together um, beautifully. And you have a really cool accent, which, which never hurts. Work on it. You work hard. On it. Yeah, you, you practiced well. Now, there's, there's a lot of ways to do this work. There's a lot of ways to be a pastor. And there's a lot of examples to show us how to live out this call, but I'd like to look at one specific example this morning. It's the example of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. This is, a, I think of Acts chapter 20, these verses we're going to look at today sort of as Paul's memoir to the church in Ephesus. It's sort of Paul's testimony or his uh, story about how he served that particular church. And what what pastoring looked like in that context, I'm going to read to you Acts chapter twenty, and it, I'm going to read kind of a long section of scripture, so try to stay awake, try to try to enter into the story. It's about twenty one verses that i'm going to read and um, and this is, this is paul's memoir. This is his testimony to the Ephesian elders about how he lived when he was working with them, about how he pastored, how he did this job. And what I want to do with that, really, Scotty, is to give you five words, five charges from that text uh, that I believe are an example for you to follow, for all of us to follow in living out our call. Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 18. I'm going to read from um, the contemporary English version. So if it's helpful, just just listen. You're welcome to try to read along as well, but I really appreciated this translation. So in verse 18, it says, when they got there, and this is the Ephesian elders, he had had called, Paul had said, hey, I wanna wanna meet with you guys. He was on his way to Jerusalem. Can we meet and, and reconnect? When they got there, when the Ephesian elders got there, this is what he said to them. You know everything I did during the time I was with you, When I first came to Asia, some of the Jews plotted against me and caused me a lot of sorrow and trouble, but I served the Lord and was humble. When I preached in public or taught in your homes, I didn't hold back from telling you anything that would help you. I told Jews and Gentiles to turn to God and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I don't know what will happen to me in Jerusalem, but I must obey God's spirit and go there. In every city I visit, I am told by the Holy Spirit that I will be put in jail and, will be troub- and there will be trouble in Jerusalem. But I don't care what happens to me as long as I finish the work the Lord Jesus gave me to do. And this work is to tell the good news about God's gift of undeserved grace. I've gone from place to place preaching to you about God's kingdom. But now I know that none of you will ever see me again. I tell you today that I am no longer responsible for any of you. I have told you everything God wants you to know. Look after yourselves and everyone the Holy Spirit has placed in your care. Be like shepherds to God's church. It is the flock he bought with the blood of his own son. I know that after I am gone, others will come like fierce wolves to attack you. Some of your own people will tell lies to win over the Lord's followers. Be on your guard. Remember how day and night, for three years, I kept warning you with tears in my eyes. I now place you in God's care. Remember the message about his gift of undeserved grace. This message can help you and give you what belongs to you as God's people. I have never wanted anyone's money or clothes. You know how I have worked with my own hands to make a living for myself and my friends. By everything I did, I showed how you should How you should work to help everyone who is weak. Remember that our Lord Jesus said, more blessings come from giving than from receiving. After Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with them and prayed. Everyone cried and hugged and kissed him. They were especially sad because Paul had told them, you will never see me again. This is the word of the Lord. So Scotty, I want to charge you with five words from that, from that story. Um, five words that I think uh, um, kind of carry the essence of, of Paul's memoir to the Ephesian elders. So the first word is, is this, the first charge is, be human, be human. Paul says in verse 18 and 20, he says, you know everything I did during the time I was with you when I preached in public or taught in your homes, Paul wasn't just a celebrity pastor or an influencer. When I read the New Testament, I think, man, you know, we're kind of living in this era of celebrity pastors. They have, you know, you, you watch their videos on YouTube and you listen to them preach. Maybe you listen to them on your way to work in the car and they're really eloquent communicators. Um, they look beautiful. They have beautiful wives. You know, they're they're these really like, high-achieving guys. They have a great Instagram, you know, following. Um, they wear really nice Nike tennis shoes when they preach. You, you know, it's, it's the era of the celebrity pastor. And, and when I read the New Testament and I read about Paul, I think, wow, here's a guy who could have been a celebrity pastor, but that's not how the Ephesian elders knew him. That's not how the church in Ephesus knew him. They didn't know him as a celebrity or an influencer. They knew him as a dude. They knew him as a real person. They saw him in their homes. They saw him cry. They saw him struggle. And what I want to say about that is that that Paul's authenticity legitimized his faith. The Ephesian elders knew him as a person and not just a personality. It's almost like Paul is saying here, he's saying, you know me, guys. You know who I am. You've watched the way I live. You, you, You see that I practice what I preach. Paul's friends saw his faithfulness and I'm sure that they saw his flaws as well. And they loved him for it. I think that, um, that sometimes churches forget that pastors are ordinary human beings. We we think of pastors sometimes as spiritual achievers. And they, they don't get tired. They don't get upset. They never yell at their at their spouse. Their kids look just polished when they go to school in the morning. We think that they sin less than we do. And therefore they need less grace. And so arise, I want to say to you, remember that Scott is human, like you. Remember he's a person. And Scott... I want to encourage you not to hide your humanness. You're not a performer. You're a person made in the image of God. And you know this, but, but as church leaders, I think, I think we often feel like we've, we've always got to be on. We've always got to put our best foot forward. And in so doing, there's this temptation, and, and the temptation is, is really, and I, and I know a lot of pastors struggle with this. There's a temptation to not let anyone get too close And we have this twisted idea sometimes that if people get too close and see that we're actually a little bit messed up, that maybe that'll somehow ruin the work of the gospel or that'll somehow ruin the ministry. And so pastors are, are, a lot of pastors, you know, they they don't have good friends and nobody sees their humanness and knows them. And and I just want to say that's, That's a recipe for burnout. It's a recipe for failure. So like the Apostle Paul, I just challenge you to risk vulnerability. Be willing to give people access to your life. Give people access to the real you that laughs and cries and sometimes sins and needs to take a break and feels emotion. Let people see that and let people see the real you who depends on Jesus. That's the kind of leader that a church can, can relate to. That's the kind of leader that a church can trust. Be human, number one. Number two, be a servant. Be a servant. Verses 19 and 20 say that Paul was, was humble and helpful. I love those words. He was humble and helpful. Uh, you get the sense when you read this story, when you, when you hear it read, it's like this guy would do anything for the church. This guy would, would do anything to serve the bride of Christ. Jesus himself said, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. Now, uh, that word great and that word servant, we again would think of great and servant. We'd probably put those in, in two different categories, but Jesus brings those two together. Greatness and servanthood. We, again, going back to the celebrity pastor kind of motif, we think of great pastors as the one who writes the ones who write books, right? How many of you have read a book that a pastor has written? Just... yeah. A lot of you. Those guys that write the books, those are the great ones. Those guys with the big churches, those are the great ones. Jesus says, "Now the great ones are the ones who serve. The great ones are the ones who who get their hands dirty and and involve themselves in the messiness of people's lives. When Jesus uh, greets us in eternity, he's not going to say to you, Scotty, he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful preacher. He's not going to say, well done, good and faithful vision caster. Well done, Under your leadership, Arise Church grew and more people came and the church got younger. He's not going to say any of that stuff. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words we all should long to hear when we leave this life and enter the next one. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what what Jesus' measure of greatness is. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but Jesus didn't technically even write a book of the Bible. <laughs> it was crazy, right? Like, we, we had these... He didn't even, he, I mean, technically, he didn't write a book of the Bible. He hung out with prostitutes. He washed people's feet. He showed up at weddings. I mean, this guy was... He was just... He was just there. He was, he was a man of the people and he, and he served. He looked for opportunities and ultimately he, he paid the ultimate price and, and laid his life down. His, he died on a cross. Being fully God, he did not grasp for equality with God but took on the character of a servant. I have been around a lot of pastors and many pastors, I can just tell you, we feel the allure of being heroes. Heroes we feel the allure of of being unique and 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 doing work that people admire there's a real draw for people in ministry being a hero feels pretty darn good and many of us we have felt at times in our ministry the, the pull of having followers on social media. We like it when people quote us. We feel like heroes when our churches grow. And, and what really needs to happen is we need our minds to be renewed on this. We need our minds to be changed and transformed because that's, that's really not the heart of Jesus. That's not the mind of Christ We need a transformed view of leadership in which the goal is servanthood, not stardom. John Stott, the late John Stott, he he said, at no point does the Christian mind come into more violent collision with the secular mind than its insistence on humility with all the weakness it entails. Christian leaders should be at the front of the line on this. We must be servant leaders because Jesus is a servant king. A pastor can be charismatic, intelligent, popular, gifted, all of those things that we would say are great and there's absolutely nothing wrong with those things, but here's the catch. A pastor doesn't need any of those things. What we need is the heart of a servant. What we need is to imitate Jesus who modeled this so well for us to represent him by getting our hands dirty and, and getting down on our knees with the poor and the sick and the hurting and serving people. Number three, be a witness. Be a witness. Paul is obsessed about telling the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a holy obsession for him. And uh, this, this, if you caught it in the story, it got him into a lot of trouble um, he did not live in a country that um, had lots of freedom to be able to like religiously believe and proclaim whatever you want to to preach. He he was living in a time where um, where his people, the Jews, were were marginalized. They were oppressed, and then within the Jewish religion, this new sect called Christianity was coming out where these people were following Jesus. And as he proclaimed Jesus, he was under under intense persecution and suffering from them. He ended up in jail. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, he was persecuted and and experienced all kinds of miserable things because he proclaimed Christ. And then he says, he says he's going to go to Jerusalem. And he knows that more hardship, more persecution is what's waiting for him when he gets there as he continues this ministry of proclaiming Christ. Isn't it fascinating that the Holy Spirit is actually the one who leads Paul into suffering. Isn't it fascinating that that the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus called the Comforter, (laughs) leads Paul to experience discomfort? Sometimes I think we get into our our walk with Jesus and we find ourselves following the Spirit and we, we experience some kind of pushback, or pain, or hardship, or we thought when we turned our life over to Jesus it would get better, but it actually gets worse. Like, the Holy Spirit leads us to to places of discomfort, and I think that he calls us as witnesses, and especially our our leaders, to be out on the front edge of of that suffering. To not fear it, to not dread it, to not avoid it, and and just keep a nice, happy, safe church, but actually to go out into a world where there's gonna be hardship and pushback when we proclaim the gospel. Here's the thing, when we suffer as witnesses, the discomfort we experience is overwhelmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The one who leads us to discomfort comforts us with his very presence. God is with those who suffer as his witnesses. That is what makes it bearable. That is what makes it even even joyful. The early church, when they suffered as witnesses for Jesus, they celebrated. They they would go to jail and then they'd get out of jail and they'd come back and they'd hug and they'd high-five. And they're like, we went to jail because we're serving Jesus and we're proclaiming the gospel. That's pretty cool. I wish I was more like that. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comforts us and he brings us that joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy when we suffer alongside of Jesus as his witnesses. And what I want to say about all this is that the church in the West, and I think in the Pacific Northwest specifically, desperately needs leaders who are willing to suffer as witnesses. Sometimes I, I wonder when the church in the West is going to start losing some of the comfort that we've grown accustomed to. When's that going to happen? Will we who lead the church share the good news of God's love when doing so is, is risky? Will we do it when it has real painful consequences? And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may it be so. And, and Scott, my prayer for you is that you'll lead the charge in that. That you'll lead the charge in that to be a witness. Fourth word, fourth charge from the story be a guardian. Be a guardian. Christian leaders are are called to stay on guard. We're to keep watch over ourselves and we're to keep watch over the church. Uh, First, let's kind of break that down. Let's talk about first the, the guardian of yourself. What does it mean to be a guardian of yourself? In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16 Paul tells Timothy who's a young pastor watch your life and your doctrine closely. Pay attention to yourself and pay attention to what you teach. For the most part I think that evangelical pastors have done a better job of watching what they teach than watching their own lives. It's kind of a generalization, but I think that the trend has been. We really, we're really like, you you have to go to seminary for a long, long time if you're going to preach, right? Like, that's that's kind of the, the standard. Watch your doctrine closely, and maybe we've taken that more seriously, but watch your life. Watch your life. Guard yourself. The words of David come to mind here for me. He says, Search me, God. He says, Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. This is about being honest about myself, with myself, and with Jesus. Taking stock of my emotions, my thoughts, my fears, my choices. This is actually a spiritual discipline for followers of Jesus. For when we come face to face with ourselves in the presence of Christ, it makes us aware of our great need for him it makes us aware that we're powerless to fix ourselves it makes us aware of our own anxieties that we have to face and our own brokenness that we have to look at and then, and then invite jesus into that we must watch ourselves watch our lives and as leaders we must guard ourselves we must remember that we're human we must remember that, that we have to see with clarity our own fears and our own resentments and anxieties and the way they impact the ways that we lead. I, uh, I recently heard a story about a pastor who in his job description, I think this is so cool, in his job description, part of his job is to be a, a contemplative. It's actually written into his duties. You know, like preach on Sundays, cast vision for the church, be a contemplative. I mean, that's pretty cool. What, what that tells me is that his church is saying, we don't just care about what you produce for us. We care about you and that you know you and that God knows you so that you can be healthy, so that you can be a whole person. We must be guardians of ourselves as As leaders. And then the other part of this is that we got to be guardians of the flock. The Christian leader protects the church from wolves. Those are false prophets, false teachers. We're to combat faulty teaching with right teaching, with biblical teaching. Watch your life and your doctrine closely so you can save yourself and your hearers. The task of the Christian leader is to ensure that we're, we're teaching the truth. The church doesn't need us to spout the same stuff that the culture is spouting. Whether it's political jargon or or whatever it might be. What the church needs is counsel from God. What the church needs is warning from God. What the church needs is comfort that comes from the word of God. That is your task, Scotty, and all who lead. We've got to teach the whole counsel of God. And not just the parts that we like. Because ultimately, ultimately, the thing that saves us is not Scotty's clever ideas. It's not Scotty's great strategies. It's not what happens when the the leadership team gets together and like reads the right book. And then they're like, oh yeah, we've got it figured out. Now we know it. That's not it. What protects the church and what leads the church forward is scripture God's wisdom, not our own clever ideas. The fifth word, the fifth charge to you, Scotty, is to be a giver. A giver and not a taker. A pastor friend of mine, he's actually a friend of yours, John Rosenstiel, I recently heard him say in a sermon he gave, he said, almost every pastoral scandal I hear about revolves around pastors taking something that is not theirs to take. They're taking money, sex, or power. You see, taking is totally at odds with who God is. God is a giver, not a taker. And that's who he calls his followers to be. For God gave us his very best. He gave us his only begotten son. His only son gave his very best. He gave his life. He spilled his blood so that all who believe can be forgiven. So that all who believe can be made right with God. So that all who can believe can be brought into the family of God. By the way, if you're new here and you don't have a family or you feel disconnected, you feel lonely, the invitation of Jesus is for you to come into his family, to be a part of a family. A global family. To be brought in as a child of God. This is what Jesus accomplished by giving. By laying his life down. He, he came to forgive your sin so that you could be made right with God. But not just individually between you and God. With, with your fellow humans. And to be a part of this family that lives to make him known. You have purpose. You have a reason to wake up in the morning. You've got a a family to live on mission with, to live out the purposes of God for your life. Just felt led to say that because somebody in the room probably needs to hear that this morning. God is a giver. He gave his son, his son gave his life. And then Jesus returned to the father and once again, the father and the son gave their very best, the Holy Spirit to empower and comfort and guide and convict and gift and transform, sanctify us. God is a giver. Giving shows what God is like. Churches where people give freely of their time, when they give freely of their talent, when they give freely of their treasures, not only put Jesus on display, but they also know the secret that Paul knew. And that's that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. They got to experience that, that joy that comes from from giving. And, And Scott and Monica, man, you guys are... You guys are generous people. You're generous with your time. You're generous with your home. We see that you have giving hearts. And and I just just want to pray today that you'll experience the blessing and the joy that comes from what you've given already. And that'll be just normative for you to experience God's blessings as, as you give and as you serve here and as you lay your lives down. And... I also want to pray that you guys will empower others to be givers. You're already doing that. I have a, a, a kind of this conviction that if we don't give ministry away, if we don't give generosity away, if we don't give away the opportunity for other people to give, then we're actually stealing. We're actually taking We're taking all the joy for ourselves. And so I pray that you guys will empower this church and this community to to be generous people, to be givers, so they can share that joy with you. So Scott, this is my charge to you from Paul's memoir in Acts chapter 20. Be human, be a servant, be a witness, be a guardian, and be a giver, not a taker. It, it goes without saying, everybody, I hope, I hope that this is obvious to everybody here, but it may not be, so I'll say it. These things flow from a life that is deeply connected to Jesus. These aren't things we do on our own strength. These aren't things you, you, you're supposed to just go out and muster up the energy to do. It flows from a life that's deeply connected to Jesus. He's the vine, we're the branches, and none of it will happen apart from him. So as we celebrate to de- together your call to serve him, I I pray that you'll never forget that your first call is to Jesus. Your first call is to know him and to draw all your life from him. Amen? So what I want to do now is is, uh, invite you up to the front. Monica, you're welcome to come up as well. It's up to you, your call. I'm going to read some ordination vows. And then if you're uh, one of the leaders at this church... Um, uh, key leaders, have you, did you brief people on this part? Yeah. Okay. So if you've been briefed. So
0: lead team, come up. There's, there's, we're doing things a little different. To okay, yeah, yeah. Che, man, um, it's your church, man. Uh, Kathy, Carolyn, is Trudy here? Uh, yeah, you want to come up? And then uh, Jim and Anne, can you come up? And then there's some people here that have known me for a long time. So Roberto, Holly, uh, Aaron, you want to come up? Uh, Aunt Renee, Jim, yeah, trying to get a representative of the people currently leading, the people that walk with me in life, and then some of the newer people that are part of where we're going.
1: And if you guys would all just kind of gather around Scotty and Monica, we can slide this stuff back. Let's... Will you guys take a couple pictures of this part? That would be really awesome. You're going to have to text them to me later, so don't leave without getting my number, all right? All right, if you guys would just kind of come up close to Scotty and Monica. And then, and then Scotty, I'm going to read you some vows. Um, uh, I'm going to read individual statements. Uh, the first one, you're going to say, I will. And then the second one, you're going to say, or the rest of them, you're going to say, with God's help, I will. Okay? Is that clear? Got it. Okay. All right. Ordination in the Alliance Northwest is public recognition from our regional family of churches that affirms, sets apart, and charges those whom God has called to build up the church and its mandate to make disciples. Scotty, this is the one where you say, I will. Will you affirm that you have been called by God to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I will. And now it's with God's help, I will. Great. That's good. We didn't practice this before, (laughs) Scotty, will you commit yourself to the scriptures and prayer? And will you teach the people in your care to listen to and obey Jesus?
0: With God's help, I will.
1: Will you support the doctrine and leadership of the Christian and Missionary Alliance and work together to share the good news of Jesus in our district and around the world?
0: With God's help,
1: I will. Will you make your own relationship with God your highest priority? Being willing to lose all things for the sake of knowing Christ and believing the gospel?
0: With God's help, I will.
1: Will you commit to living a holy and spirit-filled life?
0: With God's help,
1: I will. <laughs> and will you care for your wife, Monica, and your children, and give your best to loving and leading them? With God's help, I will. All right. If we can just gather around and lay hands on Scotty and Monica... And then a few of you, uh, if a few of you would want to lead out and pray, and then I'll, I'll close us.
2: I wanted to read a scripture um, just over Scotty and the church that I think, um, well, I was thinking of um, when Paul said of Timothy, I have no one like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. And this is what I think of Scotty all the time. I know of no one like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare uh, here at Arise and so many other friends and people that he's in ministry with. He takes a genuine interest. And so that scripture is tucked into Philippians 2. And I think this is how Scotty lives his life, and it's a charge to us uh, to be like him as he is like Christ. Therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And Lord, we thank you that Scotty is a man who has proven himself already as a servant. Lord, thank you that he is one who desires nothing more than that you would be glorified here on earth as it is in heaven, here in Hillsboro as it is in heaven, here at Arise Church as it is in heaven, here in his own family as it is in heaven. And so, Father, we want to come in agreement with the call that is on Scotty's life. We want to honor all that has transpired up until this point and. And we want to bless all that is yet to come. Lord, we look to you with hope and expectation of how you will continue to build Scotty and Monica, of how you will continue to pour your spirit in them, of how you will continue to use them to lead and to guide uh, this family that is represented here. And Lord, uh, yeah, we thank you that you will be glorified in this place.
3: Father, we are so full of joy and gratefulness for allowing us as a congregation to be a part of affirming your call on Scotty. We are thankful for all those who have invested in his life, family, teachers, mentors, friends, and sometimes authors. Father, bless him with the gift of godly prior tra- Scotty Your first priority is to have a growing and vital relationship with Jesus. The second is your marriage and your family. God has gifted you with an awesome wife in Monica and three beautiful children, Ella, Ewan, and Skye. Apart from your relationship to Jesus, they need to know that they are more important than the ministry. And that, they are, that you are a team and you are partners together for blessing. And out of this will flow blessing to those that you bring into their lives. Father, guard Scotty's heart and help him to prioritize personal time for silence and prayer. Not as a duty, but as a time of refreshment and inspiration. Lord, bless him with the spirit of wisdom and revelation that he may know you better. And may his love abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that he may be able to discern what is best. I ask also, Father, that you will bless him with the gift of open-handedness. Scotty, God has entrusted you with incredible gifts and talents. These are not to be grasped or used for personal glory, but they need to be laid at the foot of the cross daily so that the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified through them. My prayer is that you hold these gifts and talents with open hands. And so, Scotty, and Monica, it is in the spirit of love that we bless you with the words of 1 Thessalonians 1.4. God not only loves you very much, but also has put his hand upon you for something special. Father, write this on their hearts, and may you be glorified in their lives. We ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord and Savior, and say hallelujah, hallelujah.
0: Our most precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of Scotty and his family to come to accept the call to come here and minister unto this flock. I pray that you will... uh, multiply this love and direction that he has given us and that we might see many people come to know you personally as their personal savior. I thank you for everyone that is here today because they saw something in this church that tells them of the love of God. And may we not disappoint them. Lord, give us all that gift of love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
4: Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for your salvation, for your victory. And Lord, we thank you for Jason's charge towards Pastor Scott. That uh, that charge is also for all of us to be servants, to be guardians, to be humble. Lord, we pray that you help us to guard Scott. Help us to uh, encourage him, to uh, show him love to help him to fulfill the ministry you give him. We thank you for what they mean to us, for Scott and Monica and the kids. We thank you, Lord, for their love, for their work. And, Lord, we know at times uh, things are going to be a challenge. But we think about it and we pray that you be still and know that he is God. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Pastor Scott in your name.
1: Father, through the laying on of hands that we signify the coming of your Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would continue to empower this man, continue to transform him into the character of Christ. Uh, We, uh, humbly today, uh, accept his leadership, his Uh, heart for us, uh, his uh, vision for uh, what he senses that you have for us, and uh, we commit today to follow you as we follow him. Uh, We pray your blessing over uh, him and his family today in Jesus' name. And God, I pray a protection over the Burns family Pray courage and love to overflowing in Scotty and Monica for one another, for this community, for this church. Lord, lead the way. It's so amazing to see what you're already doing at Arise. May that continue as your spirit leads Scotty. Bless him, I pray. Bless his family. Bless this church in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you give uh Scott a hand? not sure what
0: Yeah. Um in a sec, the band, you wanna make your way up? Um there's a couple of things going through my mind coming into this. like we were strategic in who is up here, right? Like this is uh, our church is moving from a place of brokenness to a place of health. And so we had on the stage people that have been here from some of them from the beginning, uh, people who uh, have walked with me really deeply for the last several years. We're one of those funny churches that straddle two worlds. So we've got the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and then we partner with 24-7 Prayer and the work that we're doing. Um, so Renee representing that, and then people like Jim and Anne that are near to the church and representing who we're com- becoming and where we're going. But I think the thing I've been thinking about in the lead-in to today is um, these moments, like I think this word gets used in the wrong context a lot, but these moments are prophetic, Right? When what just happened in the laying on of hands, which is something you've seen us do multiple times as a church, something changes in the spiritual arena. Like this is not something I take lightly. Oh, you know, it's a stepping stone. They're going to pray for us today. Like there is a new mantle that goes on my shoulders today. And there is a new empowerment that sits in our body as we walk forward together. So yeah, this is not just a ceremony ceremony but a prophetic alteration of the fabric of the universe. So I just want to say thank you for trusting me. Um, I do things that are wacky and crazy and uncomfortable, and you do them. (laughs) Uh, I make mistakes, and you're gracious. I get ahead of myself, and you offer forgiveness. I'm just so grateful for the space that you've given me to experiment, uh, for the way that you love Monica and the kids, and have blessed them. So I just want to say thank you um, for being a part of this. So we're going to worship and then we'll uh, enjoy some food right after the service. So why don't you jump on your feet and let's praise God together.